Grace to you and peace from God our Father through our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we're going to look at that passage we read from 2 Corinthians. And that passage is one that is packed full of so much stuff, but there's two really main themes that happen. There's the first, the theme of being reconciled as God's people. And Paul was writing to the Corinthians who were God's people there. It is about being reconciled and understanding what that means, understanding what Jesus has done for you, and through this one man, what he has accomplished through the entire world. And so we have that that part to deal with, but then also, then there's a so what part to it, which is this ministry of being an ambassador, this ministry of reconciliation, this new creation, what does that mean, and how do we go and serve our God? And so really, we can talk about being reconciled, but then also being tasked with the idea and the job of reconciling others to God. And so what does that all mean? And we try and unpack some of that stuff. And let me just put this in context for you. Uh, I always like to call Corinth uh, kind of like America number one, right? It's kind of this place where you kind of have this glorification of athletes, this glorification of party life, this, this wonderful, the, the actors, the, the athletes, these are the, these are the people who are getting paid the most kind of money. This is a place where, where the world is very secularized, where people basically say, like, we don't have time for much religion at all. And for some reason, God went into that place through Paul and planted a church in Corinth. And so what I always like to tell people, and maybe this will make it a little better picture for you, uh, is that Corinth, in my mind, kind of reminds me of some of the stuff that happens in Amsterdam combined with the stuff that happens in Vegas. Right, so this is a place where your mom doesn't want you to go for spring break, and you don't want your children to go for spring break either. This is not a place that's great, and so the people are there, and they're trying to figure out what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, and how do I wrestle with what it means to be called and to be set apart and be made new as a follower of Jesus Christ in a world where nobody seems to care. And in a world where people are constantly mocking me for it, in a world where people are kind of always pressuring the secularism on me, does it start to sound familiar a little bit? And so we're kind of living in this world. So understand that when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's always writing to people who are caught up in what it means to be a Christian in a very, very, very secular place. And so Paul writes to them, And he writes to them in the first letter to the Corinthians, and it's all about some of the stuff they've gotten themselves caught up with. And so as young Christians, Paul comes in, he plants the church, and he says, here's the deal. You guys are set apart. You are made different. And yet, Paul has to write this first letter to the Corinthians because the world is starting to seep into the church, and they're starting to make some really bizarre situations and really bizarre decisions based on the culture that they live in, impacting the church in which they go to and they're part of. The second letter is another letter that's kind of Paul writing to his wayward child. Where have you gone? What is going on? I pray for you day and night. I want to walk with you. I want to help you. And for some of you who are parents and most of us who have friends or who have people in our lives, you know what it means to have a child who kind of walks away and becomes wayward for a while. Your heart burns for them. You long for it. You long to have things back to the way they were. You don't understand where things went wrong. And so Paul is this passionate plea to them saying, 
Listen, you have been called and set apart. Do you understand the gift you have? How wonderful it is that Jesus Christ came and died for you and rose for you. And now he's called you to be his ambassador. So Paul has just gotten done writing about how we are like jars of clay. We have treasure stored in jars of clay, how our bodies are breaking down, how our lives don't look beautiful. We don't look beautiful anymore. I mean, you do. We don't in Corinth. And he's writing to them saying, listen, it's okay. Your body will break down. It's going to happen. And yet we find hope that the world doesn't have because we have hope that our Reward lies outside of this world and that eternal life comes. And so while our tent is being destroyed, God is preparing a building and a mansion for us somewhere else. So who cares about the tent? Get to the mansion. And so Paul's kind of putting this all in context saying, listen, in this life we are going to groan, we are going to complain, we are going to whine, and I hear it from my kids every day, and I hear it from myself when I listen to myself talk, and I hear it from other people Uh, in the world that I interact with, we're all just kind of complaining, and the last 18 months has been prime example of it, hasn't it? (laughs) And yet Paul says to the Corinthians, our hope is not here. So understand what it means to be reconciled, and understand what it means to be set apart, and so he takes this chapter and he packs it full of lessons we learn that talk about what it means to be God's called person. And for a Christian, us in this room, sometimes we get sick of hearing it. I know I do sometimes. Like, I'm going to go to church. Pastor's going to tell me I'm a sinner. He's going to remind me that Jesus died for me. And guess what? You're going to hear it again today. (laughs) Because the reality is, if we can't start to rationalize that we can't even begin to believe with our hearts. And so the, the thing is, is that sometimes we just want to move over what it means to be reconciled and set apart and then just tell us what we need to do. And yet the reality is we come to a place like this to be reminded of our brokenness, to remind it that we cannot do this on our own, to remind us that we needed a Savior and that God loved us enough to send Jesus even when we didn't deserve it. And so although in our minds we know that, yes, we've been set apart in our hearts, it's really hard for us to believe it. And guess who it's really, really hard to believe it for? The people who aren't here today. The people who are in the world who just say, there is no way that I am loved. There is no way that I have value. I don't even have a purpose in my life. And yet here in these passages, Paul reminds the people once again You are set free, and you are set apart, and you are made holy, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. And so understand this, you are loved, and you are valued, and the price at which you are valued at is the blood of Jesus Christ, who God sent into this world to pay for us. And you have a purpose, to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus, having been reconciled. What does it mean to reconcile others. And so as we look at this passage, we fundamentally have to believe that we have been set apart, and Paul writes this to them over and over and over again. He talks about being a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He talks about in this passage, for we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
and all have died that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was raised. And Paul also writes there at the end, for our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And so Paul packs it into the Corinthians. Once again, listen to me, people. You are loved by a God who has the authority to damn you, or you are loved, and you are loved by a God who has the authority to save you. And guess which one he picked? His own son into the world to be saved. So rationalize this a minute. Let it sink in. What you deal with, the pain, the grief, the regrets, the things that burden you, the addictions, the sin you just can't kick, all of that stuff, the guilt that may stick with you for something that happened years ago and for the relationships that may or may not have been broken. Our God came to show you a way, a way to reconcile, a way to forgive not only others but yourself by doing it himself. And so before we move on to what it means to now be an ambassador for Christ and reconcile, take a deep breath in of the fact that our God has made you his own because of nothing you've done. And try and believe it. And if you can't rationalize it, just know that it's that way because God said it. It doesn't make sense to me either. That we have been set apart, that we have been forgiven, that we have been shown grace and mercy beyond what this world can offer us simply because our God loved us enough to send Jesus into the world. It doesn't make sense. It's foolishness to the world out there. But you know who needs to hear it? <laughs> you and the world out there. Because there's people who we encounter every day who struggle with the fact that they do not believe they can be forgiven, that they think they can do it on their own, and they need someone to come along and tell them, you can be made right, you can be reconciled, and we can start fixing your life. First, because Jesus will get a hold of you, and then we can start doing what he's called us to do. So for you, in here and online, understand this, you have been made new. You have been reconciled. It's why you're here today, to be reminded of that. But now, you've also been called to be ambassadors. And an ambassador, if you're familiar with the term, is a representative on foreign soil. And so when the President of the United States sends somebody as an ambassador to China or to Kenya or to Mexico, what he's saying is, you're an American, go to these other countries where there's not Americans, and serve as a liaison, serve as a representative, serve as someone who has authority that has been specifically sent to a place to accomplish a job. And Paul refers to us as ambassadors of Christ. Ones who are going to go out living this reconciled life because Christ has paid for it, now to go out and live a ministry of reconciliation, which means you're going into the world where people don't believe what you believe, where people aren't part of the same citizenship of the people of God, and you are now being sent out into the world to proclaim this goodness. 
This is a job. This is a task. This is a calling. This is something Paul believed in fervently because his life had been wildly transformed. Now, one of the crazy things, I think through the pandemic maybe, maybe it was a little bit earlier, but one of the things that's really hit me is the crazy plan that God had. The crazy plan that God had to save people. This is insane to me, right? It's not only insane that God said, I have one begotten son, I'm going to send him into the world and humiliate him enough to become a human, go from the divine up on the throne to taking the form of a human, right? The humiliation of Christ, this is mind-blowing to me and bizarre to me that this is what God decided to do. And yet this is the way he knew it could be accomplished. And then he sends Jesus into the world to live, and after 30 years, only 30 years, maybe 33, he gets killed, Right, so he's out proclaiming the good news. He's out healing. He's out doing stuff. He's out convincing crowds that he is somebody spectacular, somebody from outside this world. And then he dies. Well, he dies for what, three days? And he gets stuck in a tomb for three days in which he goes down and he dances on the devil. He descends into hell and he, he dances and says, you can't get me, nanny nanny boo boo. That's paraphrased, I think, what happened. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not those words exactly. But then God raises him up, and you think to yourself, if you stop there, see, death couldn't hold him. He will transform this world. And then the craziest part of it all for me, this is the craziest part, he spends 40 days in the world. So he's been on the earth for like 30, 33 years, and now 30, 33 years and 40 days, and then God decides, well, that's enough. Let's send him on up. And Jesus is ascended into heaven, and Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And just before he ascends, he says to his disciples, you guys got this. The guys who had just denied him two months ago, the guys who had just rejected him two months ago, the guys who couldn't figure out what he was talking about when he was speaking plain as day who didn't believe that he was going to be resurrected because they saw their teacher killed. Craziest thing to me is that then the disciples all of a sudden get the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden they are just filled with, with this great power of, of hope and understanding that this is what it means. That because he rose, we too will rise. So they can kill us. And so they live their life with this conviction in which they go out and they proclaim the goodness of God and they heal people, they do miracles, and God blesses them in so many ways. And then most of them are martyred, but in the time they raise up new disciples. And one of those people who didn't even know Jesus when he was alive was Saul, who was killing Christians, persecuting them. He was in charge of the stoning of Stephen at Acts. And Jesus shows up to him on the road to Damascus, the resurrected Christ, and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Paul, the converted Saul, writes two-thirds of our New Testament in which he's inspiring people who keep messing up, who keep becoming secularized in their new young faith, and he's saying, if the world is going to know who Jesus is, it's through you. And then this testimony and these writings have been passed down for generation to generation to generation for centuries. 
and now we read it in the book that says, if the world is going to know who Jesus is, it's because of you. It's because of you. It's because of you. It's because of you. We have been reconciled, and therefore, we are now called to reconcile the world through Christ who's going to make his appeal through us, Paul says. And the reason Paul believed this so greatly, I believe it's threefold that we see in the text. One, he has the fear of the Lord. He understands what it means to be blinded on the road to Damascus. He understands what it means to be far from God, persecuting Christians, killing Christians because they confess Jesus as Lord. And now in, in verse 11, there at the beginning, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. He understands the power of God. He also understands the love of Christ, and we read there just a few minutes ago from verse 14 and 15, for the love of Christ controls us. The NIV says because the love of Christ compels us. So not only do we understand the power and we fear the power of the Lord, but we also are compelled and controlled by the love that he has in us. There's nothing else we can do. He's got us. He has sent Jesus into our lives. He has made us something out of nothing. He has taken us from the trash heap. He has made us new. He has made us presentable. And now he's sent us out to be ambassadors. And the third thing Paul firmly believed is that he had the authority of God, which means that the ministry of reconciliation came from God himself. Verse 518, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, but entrusting us to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us, and we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul says, I have the fear of the Lord. I do it because the love of the Lord, it controls me, it makes me, it compels me to do it. And also, because this is a call from God. Now, if this is what Paul believed, and this is what he's teaching to the Corinthians, I'm pretty sure he wants us to understand these things as well. If you have the fear of the Lord in you, and you understand how powerful God is, and you have the love of Christ in you, that you understand why you're here and why you're waking up early on a Sunday morning when the rest of the world is drinking coffee in their pajamas, you have already been controlled and compelled to do something. Do you think how crazy this world is? They think we're nuts. Right? A bunch of people who get up at 7 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock. Well, maybe some of you get up earlier than that anyway. I don't know. But you get out and you get in your car, you go to church, and you come. And, I mean, here it's a little more laid back. But, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people that get up at 7 in the morning to go listen to a guy in a white dress talk to them and give a lecture and sing songs by organ. Where else in culture do we do that? Baseball games maybe? And then to think you'd give away part of your income so that others would know who Christ You are controlled and compelled because of the power of Christ because you know what happens when Christ gets a hold of your life and what that means to go out and proclaim the good news to your neighbors who you know their lives would be better if they knew the love of Jesus. 
So if you believe in the fear of the Lord, if you believe that the power of Christ compels you to do this work, and you believe that it's a mission from God, why aren't we doing it? And maybe we are doing it when it's comfortable, when it's easy. I'm speaking for myself here, but why don't I do it all the time? What I realize is that when I'm most effective in it, it's actually taking my own story. And I don't know your stories from anybody's. I don't know your stories. I don't know anybody's stories in here. But have you ever had somebody who has everything figured out come and talk to you about something that you don't have figured out? It seems really patronizing and condescending. (laughs) Right? Parents were really good at this stuff. (laughs) And yet when somebody comes with empathy and somebody says, I can tell you're hurting because I've been there before. I know what it's like to lose a child. I know what it's like to have a marriage crumble. I know what it's like to walk through addiction. I know what it's like to make some big-time mistakes and have some big-time regrets. But let me tell you about Jesus. And let me tell you about how he got me through the mess that I'm, I was in and the mess that you are probably in right now. And I always find it fascinating when I meet people who are new to the faith. And usually it isn't because somebody came and knocked on their door that they became a Christian. It's because their coworker or their friend or their neighbor saw them hurting when everybody else just walked by them. And they said, I know that look because I've been there before. And there is a way out from this. And this is what Jesus did. He came into our world. He humbled ourselves. He got into our shoes and he walked alongside of us and said, I'm here with you. And he reconciled us and he brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light where we would understand the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God that knows no bounds. And then for some crazy reason, he said, I think you guys have enough in your own experience both good and bad, to bring others along in the faith. I think the hardest part for me is just understanding some of the truths that God tells us in the Bible, that we are made new because he said so, that we are a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. He doesn't count our sins against us. He transforms us. And he calls us holy and he sets us apart and he calls us to be one of his own to live in his world as reconciled and redeemed people to go out and reconcile and redeem people through the Spirit. Friends, we have a God who has done a lot for us. We have a God who expects a lot from us. (laughs) And we're put in this community so that we can do it together and not alone. So the weight of the world isn't on our shoulders. And so the question is, having been shown grace, are we willing to show grace? And having been shown mercy, will we show mercy? Having been loved, are we willing to love? Having been forgiven, will we forgive? Having been reconciled and made right by God, are we willing to go out and to reconcile others? To put away what burdens us, so that others may have the same hope and help that we have that is only found in Jesus. I don't know your story, but the fact you're here (laughs) makes me know that you have been reconciled (laughs) 
it makes me know that you were struggling with something at one point and that Jesus was the only thing that could pull you out of it. And friends, I'm excited to see what God's going to do here in Brentwood through you. I'm excited to see what God's going to do in the world through all of us. And I praise him that he has given us people like the Corinthians, set apart, but wrapped up in the world as examples so that we can relate to them, even in their brokenness, even in their weakness, so we can work together with people around the world to know who Jesus is. Chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, if you get a chance, go home, read it today. It's all about Paul saying, listen, these are the times that I reveled in who God is. This is when I realized how far God had taken me. It's not a joyful list, but it's one where he says, this is what it takes so that others might know who, I, who Jesus is, that I'll endure it. I pray the same for each of us in the name of Jesus. Amen.